our time of children's message, so kids, come on up. If you're a child, you are welcome up here. I do a, just a short message. If you've not been here before, this is a special time for our kids. And I think we need to hit the button to get the, there it goes. The mic is on. All right. Come on up here, guys. All right. Good to see you guys. Say, is that everybody that wants to come up here? Okay. Man, it's been a great morning of worship, right? Do you guys like to sing a little bit? I like, is that one of your favorite parts of coming? Mine too. I love being here. I love singing. Today I want to talk about something special. I'm going to talk to your parents about this in a little bit. But I want to talk about the word enemy. What does the word enemy mean? Sophie? Someone you don't like? Okay. Abijah? Someone that's mean to you, tries to attack you. Okay, someone that you should fight. Okay. Mean people that attack you. Yeah, anyone else? Enemy? All those are the way we would define an enemy. Now, in the world today, how do people treat their enemies? Sophie said mean. Unnice, okay. Awful. You want to try? Rude, right? Yeah? Trying to enslave them. That's true. We read about that in the Bible sometimes, right? Horribly. Those are all correct. Now, that, do you want to say something, buddy? Okay, I'll catch you next time. Hmm? Hitting people? That's true. Some people hit their enemies. One more. Okay, go ahead. Treating them not nicely. That's correct. Now, so we know what the word enemy means. We know how the world treats their enemies. Now, did you know that Jesus has something to say about how we treat our enemies? You know what the Bible says? You know what Jesus says? Love your enemies. That's pretty crazy. Now, how do we love, how do we love other people? How do we demonstrate love for people? You can make friends with them, play with them, hug them, give them your favorite stuff. That's a treasure box of things. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Just a second. Just a second. We're going to let other people talk to you. Okay. Violet, do you want to say one? How do you love, how do you show love to people? By being nice and not rude. That's right. Being kind. Hugging them. Being respectful. How do we love our enemies? Or how do we love people? Like sharing or someone doing nice things. Sharing or doing nice things. That's right. Everything you got. Okay, one more. How do we love people? By hugging them. All those things are true. You guys know how to love people. Now, this is the problem. This is where we need to make the connection, right? This is Jesus' crazy idea. All those things that you just said of ways we love people, Jesus wants us to do those things for our enemies. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. All right, so the word of the day today is love, actually. It's love. Love. So go back to your seats. You can tell me later, okay? Go back to your seats and count how many times I say the word love. All right. Man, you guys did a great job. I think it's pretty awesome that you don't have to teach kids how to love other people. They know how to do it 
sometimes better than us. You know, there's some popular phrases in our culture today that many of you probably recognize. Phrases like this, I look out for number one. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? And when we say that phrase, who is number one? Myself, right. I'm going to get mine. You ever heard that before? It's a dog-eat-dog world. Do whatever it takes to stay where? On top. Or if you're out in the corporate world, you got to climb what? The corp- that corporate ladder. you got to go after what's yours. These phrases all portray something that's prevalent in our culture today. The word is exploitation. Exploitation is to make use of, meanly or unfairly, for one's own advantage. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it's, it's a common practice. It's an acceptable practice for us to use whatever means necessary to accomplish our goals. In our culture today, this means using other people, using illegal business practices, or even unethical processes. Many of us, from time to time, have our faith tested. We're tempted to exploit a circumstance or a person for our own benefit. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this one. The Lord placed us in this place at this time. And the Lord is sovereign over every every person on this planet, and especially over you and I as our Savior. And this theological truth compels us to ask an important question. How do I live like Jesus in a culture that supports the exploitation of others for an individual's benefit? How do I live like Jesus in a culture that supports the exploitation of others for an individual's benefit? That's the question that we're going to answer here this morning. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36 provide the answer. God calls us to do three things as believers living in a culture like this. We are to listen to Jesus. We are to demonstrate radical love and offer grace and mercy. So let's look at the word and let's determine first, how do I listen to Jesus? So the question I have for you first this morning as we look at at Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27, is this one. Do I hear Jesus? Do I hear Jesus? Luke chapter 6, verse 27, says this. This is Jesus speaking. But I say to you who hear. Now, let me give you some context behind Jesus' statement in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus addressed this particular teaching to a mixed company of people. Some folks in the crowd, now mostly religious leaders, despised Jesus. They wanted to destroy him. They wanted to silence him. They wanted to end his ministry and disperse all of his followers. In Luke chapter 6, verses 24 to 26, Jesus pronounced several woes 
upon them because they did not follow God, nor did they love God's people. They were exploiting God's people for their own benefit. Instead of leading them to worship God, they were leading them to worship them, to obey them, to lift them up. They rejected Jesus as the Savior, and they rejected his teaching. So by this time, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus had spent considerable amount of time teaching the religious leaders. And now, right before this text in Luke 6, 27, he pronounces several woes on them, several judgments upon them that they would receive from God because they're rejecting Jesus. You see, when they spoke, Jesus didn't hear them. It'd be much the same as those times when you walk into the living room and your kids are watching TV and you tell them, hey, I want you to get up and do this or that. And they don't really hear you, do they? In fact, they probably wouldn't remember you saying anything to them. It's funny, sometimes the kids don't really hear you until you lift up your foot and take the keno off and walk into the room. And then all of a sudden the ears work real well, don't they? You guys, this is exactly what Jesus is doing right now to these religious leaders, right? They're not listening to him. They're not really hearing him. They're, they're despising and rejecting him. And now the woes that Jesus pronounced in verses 24 to 26 are equivalent to the keynote for mama. He said, look, there's a judgment coming upon you. You guys better wake up and you better start listening is what Jesus tells them. Really listening. And so they didn't have faith in Jesus. They, they didn't hear Jesus. But we have faith, don't we? Do we believe in Jesus, church? Do we hear Jesus when he speaks to us through his word? Yes, we do. Unlike the religious leaders who oppose and refuse to hear Jesus, we have ears that hear and that means we listen to his teaching intent upon obeying it. We don't just hear his teaching. What Jesus teaches us penetrates into our hearts. It changes the way that we live our lives, right? We come to Jesus, the study of his word and the hearing of his word taught and preached already determined in our heart to hear what he has to say and to put it into action in our lives. Much like the team gathers around the coach in those last five seconds of a game when they've got one more play to try and win. No one makes a sound. Everyone leans in, ready to hear what the coach has to say about that final play. That is how we gather around our Lord and Savior and his word as it's preached and taught with ears intent, hearts determined to hear what Jesus has to say. And so he says, if you have ears to hear, then turn those babies up because I got something to say. And so we really want to live like Jesus in this culture. The first thing we need to do is we need to listen to Jesus, right? We need to listen to Jesus, not the culture. Second, 
If I want to live like Jesus in this culture, I need to demonstrate radical love toward my enemies. Let me tell you why this is radical for the, the people that Jesus is teaching. So Jesus has gathered around him religious leaders, both Pharisees, which were a sect of Judaism, and Sadducees, which were a sect of Judaism. And then all the Jews, all the, of his brothers and sisters, the Israelites, gathered around him in this place. And he gathers everybody up, and he's going to teach them. He says, if you have ears to hear, then, then basically listen to what I have to say. And the next thing that he's going to say, in verse 27, love your enemies, is very, very radical in nature. Who are Israel's enemies? Well, primarily, it's the Romans. That's what they would believe. The Romans were a country that pretty much ran that whole region and had, had uh, conquered all the peoples in that Middle Eastern region of the world. And so they pretty much owned and ran Israel at that time. Israel, they didn't, they didn't have an independent nation at that time. They, they were under Roman control. And so Romans at that time had freedom to do, especially Roman, uh, Roman military folks, had, things, had, had power and control over the Israelites that they had not experienced in their recent history. They could go and take their property. They could take their kids. They, they could take their money. They could beat them and leave them on the side of the road, and not many people would care. And so the people in this crowd would have experienced those kinds of things at the hands of Roman soldiers and Roman authority. So Rome was the enemy. And so now Jesus turns to his people. He says, love your enemies. This is a radical, radical command from Jesus. What does it mean to love my enemies? Well, the word he uses there, agape, which I'll talk a little bit more about this later, is an action, verb. When Jesus says, love your enemies, it's not, it's not a feeling that we have inside that, that you, you uh, experience, you know, watching a, a Disney movie or one of the common fairy tales that we all grew up with. Love is a determined activity that I demonstrate toward another person through my actions. So he says, love your enemies. Now, what does it mean to love my enemies? Well, Jesus articulates this in the next two verses. Look at verse 27. Do good to those who hate you. We should actually do good deeds to those who hate us. Think about Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, followers of Jesus, are out preaching and teaching the word of God. People are getting saved. The religious leaders don't like what Paul and Silas are doing, so they beat them, they arrest them, then they throw them into jail. Now, while Paul, while Paul and Silas are in jail, during that night, there's a great earthquake, and the, the prison doors fling wide open, their shackles fall off. They're able to walk out of that prison if they want to, but they don't. Instead, they stay right where they are. Look at verse, uh, listen to uh, Acts 16, verse 27. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. 
And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So instead of allowing the captor to kill himself, Paul stays where he is and cries out, We're all here, don't kill yourself. And that man ultimately gets saved. That's what it means to do good to those who hate you. What does love mean? Look at verse 28. Bless those who curse you. Most people prefer or think they prefer to live by the Levitical command. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It sounds great, right? We like that, right? You punch me in the arm, what do I want to do? I want to punch you back in your arm, right? You steal something from me, what do I want to do? I'm going to steal something from you, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Until we need grace, right? Until we make a mistake, then it's not so great. Then we need love. Then we need someone to give us mercy. And this is what Jesus talks about here. We've received much grace from God, haven't we? Anybody testify? Has God given you grace? Are you a born-again believer in Jesus? You've already, just at a baseline in your salvation, received an infinite amount of grace from God, right? If nothing else happened good in your life and you're a born-again believer, you've been given much more than you deserve, right? Amen. Okay? That's where we are. Like, that's where we start, right? So we bless those who curse us. And 1 Peter 3, 9 explains this. He says, Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. So we bless those who curse us. And then, watch what God does, as he oftentimes does. He multiplies a blessing in our favor. Did you know that? When you, when you live in obedience to God's word, you're not even paid back by God. Like, what you, you, you know, equivalent to what you did. Your blessing from God when you live in obedience to his word is a multiplied blessing on your behalf. First of all, you're blessed here on this earth for walking in obedience to the Lord, right? You're blessed by God for that. Then second, there's a blessing laid up for you in heaven. When we live in obedience to the Lord and his word, God blesses us with reward in heaven. And that's exponentially better than anything you could get on this earth. So that's pretty awesome. That's God's economy of blessing multiplied in our favor. Now, number three, what, is it, what does love mean? What does it mean to love my enemies? Look at verse 28, the next part. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now Jesus is starting to step on some toes, right? Right, this love thing, this is kind of radical, Right? Now he wants me to pray for those who mistreat me. Think about Acts chapter 7. Think about Stephen. Stephen, called by the Lord, was serving tables. One of the original deacons. God calls Stephen to step out into the public eye in Jerusalem and to start to share the gospel. And soon he finds himself arrested for that and then standing before his fellow Jews sort of on trial for believing in Jesus. 
So he goes through these fulfilled prophecies that, that Jesus fulfilled while he walked this earth from the Old Testament. And at the very end, as he just pours his heart out and begs his fellow Israelites to turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus, they begin to stone him. They stone him for his act of love. Acts chapter 7 then says in verse 60, Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, this is his prayer to God, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Do you all believe that prayer changes things? Do you believe that God works through prayer? Then we need to pray for those who mistreat us. We need to pray for their salvation. We need to pray for their relationship with us to change. We need to pray that the Lord would use you and I to change their lives. It's also okay to pray for a way out. Paul did that often. But we pray. Next, just in case we want some examples of how to love our enemies, here they are. And, and it's important. Jesus speaks about this in the context of persecution as a result of our faith in Jesus. So as we go out into this culture, and as we're persecuted because we don't live like everyone else, because we've decided to follow the radical commands of this Savior named Jesus, how do we love people? Look at Luke 6, verse 29. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. When we take a stand for our faith, and we receive insults and harm because of it, then we need to refrain from striking back both physically and verbally. Consider Paul's persecution in 2 Corinthians 11, 23-25. This is his list of persecutions. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. Paul was a master at turning the other cheek for the cause of Christ. How do we love? Number two, look at verse 29. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Here's the deal. We must be prepared to give everything for Christ and for his cause. Amidst persecution, as a demonstration of God's love for this world, even the shirt off of our backs. When Jesus called Matthew to be his disciple, what did Matthew do? Well, Luke chapter 5 verse 28 says, and he left everything behind. He got up and he followed him. He left everything behind and followed Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. Well, how do we love? Look at verse 30. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. We will be known for our grace. We will be givers and not takers. Psalm 37, 21 says, 
The wicked borrows and does not pay back. But the righteous is gracious and gives. How do we love? Number four in verse 31. We treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Just in case you missed everything I said so far this morning, Jesus sums it all up right here. Treat others the same way you want to be treated. That's not how this culture works. Our culture works a little bit differently. Our culture works this way. Treat others the way they treat you, right? Isn't that the way the world works? You scratch my back, right? And then what? I scratch yours. We work on a system of you do favors for me, I do favors for you. You're mean to me, I'm mean to you. That's not what Jesus says here. Just carefully look at that verse. Treat others the way you want them to treat you. Not the way they treat you. Treat them the way you want them to treat you. And this is a radical demonstration of love in a culture that does not work that way. This is an action. This is a way of life. It's something that we've got to decide ahead of time. Because, right, Lord knows that in our flesh, we're not going to live that way in that moment, right? It's not natural for us to love our enemy. Maybe it is for you, but it is not for me. My natural inclination is revenge, giving you what you deserve, defending myself at all costs, taking whatever steps I need to get ahead. Jesus says, no, that's not how we're supposed to live. We lift others up. We're prepared to lose everything for the kingdom. Now, what doesn't this mean? Because I've heard all of those verses that I just talked about, I've heard those taken out of context. What doesn't it mean? It doesn't mean that we're not allowed to defend ourselves, our families, and our church against someone assaulting us. Protecting our families and our church is a God-given role for parents, and especially husbands and fathers. It doesn't mean that we are the world's doormat and we're supposed to let people walk all over us. The New Testament's full of examples of Christians defending their faith and their lives in the courts, preaching against unbiblical behaviors, and fleeing dangerous circumstances. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to give all of our possessions away to be real, legitimate Christians. It doesn't mean any of those things. Well, what does this mean? We will do everything we can to lead our enemies to Christ. It means we're ready to lay down our very lives if Jesus calls us to do so. It means that we are called to a radical love. It means that we do good to others. We bless them. We pray for them. We give them our resources. We do this for a huge reason. That God would be glorified. And the gospel message would ring clear in a culture who does not hear it. It means that we hold on to all things loosely and we're always ready to sacrifice our stuff, our time, our talents, and even our lives if Jesus compels us to do so for the kingdom. 
This is the complete opposite of exploiting others for our benefit. So how do I live like Jesus in a culture that supports the exploitation of others for an individual's benefit? Well, first, we got to listen to Jesus. We've really got to hear Jesus through his word, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Second, we need to demonstrate radical love for our enemies. And then finally, third, we need to be gracious and we need to show mercy. This final set of verses indicates that Christians must go above and beyond the reciprocity that our culture demonstrates. While pop culture embraces the philosophy of self above everyone else, Jesus calls us to be gracious and to show mercy. Now, how do we do that? So Jesus explains it in this, in this passage. Look at verse 32. Jesus explains how the culture of exploitation works, right? This is what not to do, right? Look at verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back that same amount. Well, what are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus explains that next. Look at verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So Jesus tells us to love our enemies. That word he uses there, agape, that's a self-sacrificing, unmerited, unearned love. It's not I scratch your back, you scratch mine. This is a, I'm going to love you even if you hate me. I've determined in my heart to love you, regardless of how you feel about me. We are to do good for someone else, even without expecting them to return the favor. Anybody in here ever help anybody move? Ooh, it's one of my most favorite things to do on a Saturday, right? Probably yours too. Here's the deal. When we help someone move, right, the amount of time and the amount of effort that we spent helping that person move goes into like a special move bank, right? There's a bank in, in our head somewhere. It's like, I remember helping you move and we spent five hours doing it. And right, so... The next time I need help moving, guess what you're on the hook to do? You got to help me move, right? It's amazing how we never forget. And then you know if you, if you ask people to help you move, you know that then you're kind of indebted, right? It's like, okay, I had five people come help me. Now I got to help five people. So you got to like weigh in your head, is this worth it, right? We all have this collective move bank. This is the opposite of what Jesus tells us to do, right? It's funny, and we should help each other. And you know what? I want to tell you guys, 
the, those of you that I know real well in here, I've seen you guys sacrifice and help people move so many times, right? We live in a, in a, on an island where people come and go all the time, right? So we're always helping people move. It's, it's kind of part of our ministry here. And, and many of you, you'll never be repaid for the times you help people move because people, they move out of here, they usually don't come back, right? And so God bless you for that, right? Your move bank is in heaven, and it'll be exponentially blessed upon your arrival there with Lord Jesus. When he tells us here to do a good deed, it's doing a deed, a, a good deed for someone else without the expectation that that deed would be returned to you, right? That's what he calls us to do, right? He's saying the world, they do good things for each other with the expectation that that person will do something back to them. In fact, if they don't think that they'll do that in, in return, then they probably won't do it. We're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to help others. We're supposed to do good for others regardless of whether they could ever return that favor to us. Now, in the church, the beautiful thing is that if all of us commit to do good deeds, uh, both to one another and to the culture out, out there, right, then we're also being blessed because we got a bunch of people in this building that want to do good deeds for us too. So in the end, you win no matter what. And then third, not, we, we don't only just love, we don't just do good deeds. We also don't keep a careful ledger of, of the resources, right? And so the calling upon the life of the believer isn't to take advantage of other people, right? That, that passage I just read in Psalm tells us that. We are to hold on to our resources loosely and be prepared that as God leads, we should give without expecting return. The Lord God demonstrated all of those things for us on our behalf. You know that? Like, God is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done for us in an infinite, to an infinite degree. Let me just give you two examples and I'll be done. One is common grace. That's a theological term describing what God does for all of creation. Right? The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the fact that God allows us just to live and be alive in the midst of his immense holiness is an act of grace. Like every offense against God carries with it an eternal death penalty. And that God looks upon this world, which the majority of which despises him. And still... We live. And if that weren't enough, he still sends rain and harvest. And the book of Hebrews chapter 1 says that the Lord Jesus holds all things in balance in this world and God's creation for our benefit. So like, right, we have enough sun, we have enough rain, we have gravity, all those things. Those are things that Jesus designed and Jesus orchestrates and Jesus holds into place, right? And he continues to do this every moment of every single day for a world, the majority of whom do not even believe he exists, right? So that's some grace, right? That's common grace. And then there's salvific grace. This is the grace that God demonstrated for us by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. 
Knowing that we could not make things right with God on our own, God, in his great love, sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. Jesus lived a perfect life. He never once sinned against God. Everything he did was perfect, in line with God's desires for his life. And then Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice on that cross for you and I. He took our place. He received the wrath of God on your behalf and my behalf. His blood was shed on that cross as an atonement or a covering or a sacrifice for our sin. He died on that cross. He was buried in the ground. And on the third day, he resurrected, conquering sin and death and Satan's power over humanity. And now we all have this gracious invitation from God that if we would turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we would be forgiven and reconciled with that God. Now, specifically, Paul Tripp identifies six kinds of grace that God gives to all believers. Forgiveness from sin. Anybody thankful that you're forgiven of your sin today? That God did for us on our behalf something we could never do on our own. We are accepted into the family of God. We are a part of his family. Adopted as sons and daughters of the king. We are escorted into the presence of God. In a limited way, sure, on this earth through the indwelling Holy Spirit. I don't know if you're visiting here at 5th Street, but every Sunday when we worship God... Uh, his Holy Spirit moves among us, and, and our people will testify about that. God's at work here. God is moving among us. We feel the presence of his Spirit. That's because of Jesus. We're enabled by God to serve. You know, when you're born again, and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you, he brings very unique spiritual gifts, things that you don't, you don't earn, you can't train to have these things. These are things that God gives to you. For his kingdom. He equips us and enables us to serve him. We're given freedom. You know, before Christ, the Bible says that we're a slave to sin. We're a slave to Satan. We're a slave to our flesh. Before Christ and apart from Christ, people walk around as slaves. Unable, even not desiring and unable to do what God desires for them to do. When we receive Jesus, we're freed from all of that. We are a freed people, freed by Jesus. And then finally, he's going to bring all that to completion at the end. You know, one day Jesus is going to return. All of creation will be judged. We will go to be with him forever in the new heaven and the new earth. Guys, that's going to be amazing. And all of those things are what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And so we have a calling upon our lives to live for Christ. We live in a world that tells people to do whatever they can to stay ahead, to, to crush people, to use people. And you all know that's true. But we're different. We are called to live like Jesus in this culture. And to be a light for the gospel. So we're going to have a time of invitation now. And in just a minute, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. And we're going to sing a song together. 
And this is your chance to respond to whatever God's placing on your heart. Whether you decide to do that in your pew or come forward for prayer, maybe you have a decision to make today. Whatever you need to do during this time, it's time for us to make a decision. Will I live like Jesus in this culture? Will you all stand with me? And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. You are a good, good, good God. And during this time, this moment of decision, we pray that we would really hear you in the still, small voice of your spirit. And help us to be obedient. Help us to take a step of faith in whatever you've called us to do. Whether, whether it's that person who just came in today that doesn't know why they're here, but they know they need Jesus. Help them to come forward so we can show them that way. Or the one that needs to join this church, Lord God, help them to take that step of faith and be a part of this fellowship. Or maybe the one that just needs to come to this altar and pray. Lord, we all came to this place with needs, but you tell us that we can bring those needs to your altar. And that you walk with us through even our darkest valleys. Help us now during this time to take that step of faith and to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray.